Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're going a little bit different angle today. We're going to talk about tabletop RPGs, and we're talking to Stephen and Michael Stagliano. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Gabe. Ditto. <laughs> Thank you so much. So excited to be here. That was Stephen. We sound a lot alike. I apologize for that up front. Yeah, so apparently you guys are identical twins, and even your voices are identical. So it's going to kind of seem like I'm talking to just one person, but there's definitely two of you there. Not apparently we are that. Yeah, we are definitely identical <laughs> twins. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, this is going to be interesting, man. I'm excited to talk to you guys. One, because this is a topic I'm very interested in, something I'm working on myself. And so I've got a lot of questions and just kind of want to pick your, your guys' brains. But also, you guys are you're Hollywood folk. And so uh, if the listeners couldn't already tell, there's a little bit of charisma there. You, you have a very high charisma uh, score, I guess you might say. You, modifier, yeah, yeah, yeah modifier. There, you, you, you pass that, a lot yeah. of <laughs> you pass a lot of low skill checks and, and do pretty well. But uh, and actually, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about your bio. How did you guys get into games and game design and and the podcast and all that good stuff? Sure, I think. I mean, I, I'll start at the beginning if you don't mind, and I'll, I'll yeah, be as go. concise as where I most can. stories start. Yeah, no, I, instead <laughs> of starting in the middle, I could do that. I could do that. But look, I, we've been gamers our whole life. We started out with board games like Candyland and Monopoly when we were kids. Then we jumped into video game systems and PC and console. NES. Uh, you know, all the way back to NES and stuff, and then. Getting into college, you know, started really gaming with games like Halo and World of Warcraft and Call of Duty and then and dabbled in D&D a little bit. And then basically about eight years ago now, what year is it? 2018. So, yeah. So about eight years ago, right? More than that. Yeah. Eight years ago, Steve and I started to design our own board games um, and and then have moved into designing our own tabletop RPG system the last year and a half, I guess two years now. Yeah, this is Steven. I also think it's worth pointing out, like, you know, we continue to play board games through college, but just, just like, you know, Risk and and even Monopoly, even though that m- seems to rustle a lot of people's feathers. We, we really <laughs> like that game. Uh, and then, you know, when kind of the what we refer to now as the board game revolution um, came came along, you know, we started playing Ticket to Ride and Sellers of Catan and Pandemic and Dominion and Small, Small World. Yeah, like, you know, the, the, those more uh, creative and different and new games. And that's what really pushed us into. Actually, I'll never forget it. Michael um, just gave me a call one day. Uh, probably eight, eight, nine years ago now, and was like, "Hey, you want to just you want to make a board game?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, that sounds great." <laughs> and uh, and that ended up being our first title, which was Spiritual Warfare. Um, and then uh, we just had such a blast doing that. We really, we really never looked back. And now, um, yeah, here, here we are today, which I'm sure we'll dive into. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'm a huge fan of RPGs. I got I started playing in college, and I loved fourth edition D anD. I think I liked it a lot because it it feels like a board game. It's got a lot of board game aspects. Nobody says they liked fourth edition. Oh man, I know I'm in the minority, but I really yeah. enjoyed. Now I haven't I haven't played fifth, and so I can't compare it. I can compare it to three point five. I played a little bit of three point five. They're way okay. different. Oh, okay. Actually, 
Yeah, I fourth edition and fifth and five e are are way different. Yeah, uh, but three point I think three point five and five e are pretty comparable. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard that they kind of came back around to the the style of three point five. I liked four though because it was very I don't know, it seemed very streamlined to me. It had a lot of like I said board game style elements. You had these cards. You had the, you know the way the game worked. It, it just mm-hmm. felt good to me, and so I really enjoyed playing it in college. But what what got you guys into the RPG side of things? So I guess four or five years ago now, um, my cousin who has his own podcast called the glass cannon podcast, um, he wanted to get into GMing. He played, they, he and his buddies play the pathfinder RPG system, which is like D and D only I would argue more dense and heavier and and rules focused. Mm -hmm. Um, and we went on this trip in Mexico, just the two of us for like four days and long story short, we literally, like all expenses paid, this huge, incredible resort, we just locked the doors and played. Uh, it was actually fourth edition that we played at the time. And I, it was my first time like really drinking the Kool-Aid and really, really loving it. And then from that, uh, Joey lives in New York. My cousin lives in New York and I obviously live in LA. And uh, Steve, my my brother, decided that he wanted to start running uh, a Pathfinder campaign. So we ran our, we, we played a Pathfinder campaign for God, three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, you know, just full on completely loved it. I think Gabe, to, this is Steven to answer your question in a different way too. You know, we talked about how we love board games and, and, and dove into that pretty hard as well. Um, I think what, what I want to bring up is, you know, before we started recording, we started swapping stories and, uh, and I'm saying this to you because I think you'll be able to empathize. Michael and I have just always loved stories and, and have been storytellers. I was a history teacher for a while and, and just loved the story side of, um, uh, of history. And, and Michael is, is a writer. And so to connect the dots, I think what we really loved about tabletop RPGs was that you get to basically cooperatively tell these really long, epic, amazing stories. Uh, and I, I, maybe I was speaking for myself here, but I think I could speak for uh, everyone that, um, that that's the, the, the big draw on and what really made us fall in love with tabletop RPGs. Yeah, definitely. I'm right there with you. And this is why I started bringing RPG style gamification kind of into my classroom uh, in, with 10th graders and, and a little bit with 12th graders. 12th graders are a little bit too cool for, for this stuff I've noticed, but the 10th <laughs> graders have really enjoyed it. But yes, it's all about telling stories and creating these epic moments and uh, having having a lot of fun. And it's been interesting to, and this is something I think we're going to talk about in just, in just a minute, but to expose new people to this style of game, this style of storytelling. And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. And I've had nothing but just incredible uh, results from that. But what, what made you guys want to start designing your own? Like, how did you get that itch? Sure. I, that's a really good question. It, it's such an, it's such a huge part of, I mean, yeah, we, we were constantly thinking about that and asking that, like, why did we want to do our own version of a tabletop RPG system? And here's ultimately what it, what it came out to kind of two things. One is we were playing Pathfinder and we had played 5e and and fourth edition. And we just felt like a, there was a way to make the rule system hyper streamlined and boiled down almost to the point that like the analogy we've, we've been using is that Tavern of Heroes, our rule system is like the video game version of D and D and Pathfinder. Like it's just, Mm. it's just a lot easier to play as a more specific analogy in uh, D&D and Pathfinder, if you have a character sheet and you're a spellcaster, your, your total character sheet's going to be like 
12 to 15 pages sometimes, sometimes even more than that, you know, with all your spell list and stats and abilities and feats and skills and, um, and our, if you're a spellcaster in our game, you have your, your hero sheet is two pages. It's one page with all of your stats and modifiers and abilities. And, and then you have another page that's got like five spells on it. So, um, so that was kind of, that's like our direct way in was we just, we just felt like there was a way to to make a beginner version of the game that didn't of a tabletop RPG that didn't really exist. Yet. Yeah, and I think to to maybe call out the mission statement in in a different way. Um, one of the things we found with Pathfinder and D and D was that for any new player, the barrier to entry is just really high. Right, we're talking about oh, yeah. three to four hundred page rule books. Um, even creating a, a a character is. It take, takes a, takes a lot of effort, um, and just the time commitment, right? Like four to six hour sessions, yeah, and no just for for our stage in life, you know, we just we we had asked friends and family. Um, it, it took us a while just to get the group that, that that I ran, the Pathfinder group that I ran together, and um, we just saw a real problem there. Uh, and e- even another element too, back in the days of Gary Gygax and like the uh, the stipulations uh, that that came with D, like in the 70s and, and 80s um well, and, the stigma. and yeah the stigma right it like it just had people thinking well that's like the nerdiest thing that nerds can do and i would never do that uh because it's D, and that was just really sad to us because you know as we already established we just love it's it really is our favorite type of board gaming experiences tabletop Game rpgs of gameplay in general. So yeah, the, the problem just became, okay, look, what can we create a system that drastically lowers the barrier to entry that is a, 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 a lower time commitment where we can, what we really aspire to do is create a sit and play where we can sit down with people that have never played a tabletop RPG and, uh, and go and, and just start playing. And uh, this is Michael. Now I want to hit that on the head a little bit harder for those of you that are listening that have never played D and D or Pathfinder and don't even know, you know, where to start with a tabletop RPG. Um, and what I'm going to say is an, an all encompassing umbrella, but bear with me for a minute. If you want to run, let's just say you want to run a D and D campaign or a D and D adventure. Oh, I'm sorry. Campaign Pathfinder is an adventure path. Yeah. If you want to run a D and D campaign, what that means is you're going to be the dungeon master and it requires you to do a ton of reading and like a ton of prep work and usually draw maps and buy miniatures. And and it's not just that you need to have like a story prepared. You need to be like super ready for anything to happen. It's a, it's an open sandboxy novel, world. Yeah. Your players can do anything and you've got to read a novel anyway. I, and we wanted to flip that on its head and essentially do all of the work ahead of time so that if you are if you are interested in playing a tabletop RPG for Tavern of Heroes what that means is you can literally not figurative, figuratively you can literally sit down hand out hero sheets to your friends and you don't even need to read our adventures ahead of time you can just start reading them and the, and we've already we have maps already drawn out as well so you can just put those down so as you're going through, there's, you know, like there's italicized text that's just for you. So you can literally sit and play. And that was one of the big barrier to entries that I felt was that we both felt was pivotal in removing. Like if you if you're actually interested in playing, you can just pick it up and, and start playing, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, D&D, I feel like is 
just as much as any other game I've ever known of, a lifestyle game. Like if you're going to play <laughs> D and D, like it, it's it's going to take up a lot of time and effort and money. As you know, if you're going to really do things right, it doesn't have to, obviously. But I don't know anyone who's ever gotten into DMing and then has just been like, no, no, I I enjoy just drawing stuff. Like no, you go spend like thousands of dollars on mini. I mean, not, maybe not that much, but you go buy miniatures and you buy thousands terrain. Of hours. You, yeah. yeah, no doubt. And so it's but it's interesting because I mean this this game. It's really a war game. I mean, Gygax and his friends, they were war gamers. And then they thought, well, what yeah. if what if we got rid of the war? Like, not, not the war. What if we got rid of the army? And you we were just on, like, the, the unit level. And you just had one guy as opposed yeah. to this giant army. You just had one dude. And, like, you went and killed stuff in a dungeon. And you got a bunch of gold. Okay. Gabe, and that's where it started. <laughs> have you read The Empire of Imagination? I have not. I have just seen, like, different documentary kind of things about, you know, where everything started. And, okay, and that's, that's, yeah. that's that's the book about Gary Gygax. I actually yeah. just read it a few months ago. And, yeah, I mean, that's it's cool. that That's one yeah. of the It sounds like you did because that was a phenomenal recap of what the book basically <laughs> steps out. But um, yeah, well, Hopefully, you know just summarize 300-something pages. In, like, <laughs> you did. You know, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, thank you, listener. Um, yeah. It also uh, – Michael and I always feel the need to do this as well um, – just just call out like we love the Pathfinder and D&D rule systems. We mm. really do. I mean, you know, that, yeah, that is ultimately what, what had us fall in love with the tabletop RPGs. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, we're we're crapping on those systems. Um, we just we just saw a bit of a, a problem space that we wanted to try to solve with our system. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I love D&D. Like I said, fourth edition when I had when I was in college and, you know, uh, <laughs> full time was, you know, 12 hours, you know, yeah. 12 hour yeah. class load was considered oh. full time. And yeah, yep. and That's I was still playing. Day. <laughs> no doubt. And I was still playing football. And so I my, my, my life was very scheduled, but I still had so much extra time where I could play, you know, on a Friday night, six mm-hmm. or eight hour sessions. And that was totally cool. And it'd be three o'clock in the morning and, and didn't matter. But then mm-hmm. you fast forward a little bit and I can't do that now. Right. Yeah. And especially if I'm trying to do it like in a classroom setting, like, OK, I need a 40 minute yeah, session yeah. That I can do. And like, what does that look like? And so I've really enjoyed, you know, looking into other. There's so many RPGs out there where you're talking about mm-hmm. Numenera, Genesis, Mouse Guard. I mean, there's hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds. Yeah. And it's been yeah. fun to kind of learn about all these other systems and then kind of create my own and, and kind of mold it to the way that I need it to be. And I feel like that's what you guys have been been doing as well. And so I'm, I'm excited to kind of hear. Yeah, how you've done that, right? And so, but first, I want to talk about your experience because one of the things we talked about before the show, and even just kind of back and forth in the email, was your your big mission statement is bringing people to the hobby, is bringing people in, and making this a comfortable, you know, easy to get into kind of thing. And so, just tell me more about that and different things you guys are doing to to make that accessible and make the you know make the hobby um, kind of opened up to a, a wider range of people. Sure, I think one of the the practical first things that we did in case I can't remember if we have said this now, but we have a podcast called Tavern of Heroes that where we play, it's an actual play. So we play our rule system, Tavern of Heroes. And one of the first deliberate decisions we made for the show was to have all of our cast members. And we have eight cast members besides Steve and I, they are all, I'm sorry, seven out of eight of them are completely new to tabletop RPGs and I think six out of those seven are not even gamers at all. Like they wouldn't even identify as video gamers or they don't even play board games. Um, So that was, you know, and if you've listened to, if you start listening to any of our episodes, it's pretty obvious. I mean, these people have an absolute blast. So part of it was showing the proof in the pudding. Like if you've never played a tabletop RPG, here are these People that we know that are friends, a lot of them are voiceover actors that, you know, we wanted to get actual talent too. But yeah, I mean, they didn't know anything about tabletop RPGs. We gave them a little bit of a briefing before we started recording every episode, you know, maybe 20 minutes of like explaining what the rules were. And then we just hit 
record and started playing with them. And I mean, you can hear the full on joy of these people's voices because like we're already kind of stepping out. I mean, tabletop RPGs are just unbelievably fun. Um, one of the one of the tactical examples that uh, we always go back to, you know, we, we spent three months in strategic development before we even just started designing um, anything. And uh, one of the kind of the funny things we identified early on was was dice. And there's a little bit of story to go with this um, in playing Pathfinder. As, as Michael mentioned, I was the the GM and, you know, you spend hours and hours prepping as we already stepped out. And um, one of the players in our game was actually our father. God bless him. He's he's 60 years old now and never played, you know, board games or is, is not a nerd at all. Um, but, you know, he dove in and he tried his best, but it would drive me crazy because he played a fighter that had a i believe it was a d10 um bastard sword was his weapon and the amount of times gabe that i'd be like okay dad you hit roll for damage and he would like pick up the d8 or pick up the d12 and you know roll the wrong thing and i would just roll my eyes because it would just slow the game i'm like dad it's the d10 like i'm not exaggerating a year and a half into the game he would still be picking up the wrong die. And one of the things we realized is for new players, you know, the idea of them sitting down and being like, okay, do you have your dice set and putting seven polyhedral dice in front of them? People are like, what in the hell? <laughs> like, you know, they, most people can spot a D six, you know, like they know what that is. But once you be like, yeah, there's a D 20 and a D four and a D, you know, they, they just, they get lost um, and can't see the trees from the forest at all. So one of the tactical decisions we made, one of the first ones we made was um, streamlining the dice system down to uh, the D6, which is only for damage, and then what we call a D100 or a percentage die uh, for everything else, which basically serves as, a, as the D20 in the Pathfinder and, uh, and, and D&D system. Um, actually, you want to step out percentages? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I guess you already kind of said it, but so we use a percentage die that has got numbers from 10 all the way up to 100. And part of what we liked and kind of initially got to see with players when we first, with our cast, when we first started playing with them and they had never played before is like, it's, it's amazing when you say something like, you know, okay, I need you to roll and add seven to whatever you roll and they get like a 23 let's just say 23 to hit like it's really hard to conceptually grasp why like what is a 23 but as soon as you add the word percentage to it it uh, it kind of you see it click a little bit more it's like okay if the dc is 70 i've got like a 30 percent chance of of passing you know what i'm saying so that was that literally just adding the word percentage and using a percentage die i think makes it a lot easier to conceptually grasp for new players and then another one of the big big decisions was, um, you know, I think Steve and I could argue that one of the best things about playing D and D and Pathfinder is creating your own character. I mean, it's just so much fun, but like we already mentioned a few minutes ago, it's a lot of work. Like you need to pick a thousand things. And frankly, it's, you don't even know what you're doing, right? Like you don't even know what the stats mean at that point. Exactly. (laughs) No idea. So we have 10 pre-generated heroes that again, you can just sit down and start playing. Um, you know, which again, just it's all about lowering the barrier to entry, you know? Yeah, for sure. This is something, I don't know if you guys follow Matt Colville, uh, online, mm-hmm. but he, he put a, out a thing. He's, he's a, 
awesome YouTuber. If anybody's listening to this and you want to like check out a guy that just has amazing stories and really cool like RPG uh, stuff and information, Matt Coville, he's awesome. But he put out a thing recently on Twitter and he was talking about how, you know, this very thing about how, like, how can we make the process of, of character generation for a brand new player easy, right? Like easy, what can yeah. we do to streamline, like get rid of the giant rule book because it's overwhelming. And like here, here's a one page thing. Here are a handful of options. Here's exactly what it does and why it matters in the game. And, and just make it so much easier for people uh, to get into. But I want to go in yep. a little bit more into some mechanisms in just a second. But I want to unpack a few things that, that you just mentioned. First of all, right, your guys' cool. show, I've really enjoyed. I've listened to several episodes. It's really enjoyable to listen to. They're bite-sized. They're not very long. I think about an hour each mm-hmm. uh, show. You use sound effects and music, and, and the whole thing is, is really well done. And I also noticed when I was first researching you guys and kind of making sure that you were you know, actually – real people that could be interviewed, <laughs> right? Yeah. Kind of betting you for the show. Uh, I remember going yeah. to your website and I looked at your cast of people and I was like, these have to be stock images. Cause these are like, these people are way too beautiful to all like be playing D and D style RPG stuff. But then I was like, Oh, they live in Hollywood. Never mind. And so, mm-hmm. but I think it's a lot of, there's a lot of value and critical role, which has had so much success mm-hmm. is found yep. so much uh, value for people because the, the people are so likable and they do all these voices and it's, it's, it's an experience. It's not just people, you know, sitting there talking to each other. They're like going in full on into character. And, and uh, you guys do a, a really good job, I think with the, the people you've cast uh, for your show, but it's been fun to listen to these brand new people, like get into this and figure things out. I remember when I was playing with my 10th graders last year, mm-hmm. uh, I, it's funny, the very first uh, session, there was one class that I, I wasn't sure how they were going to handle this because they, they were kind of a, a rambunctious bunch. Mm-hmm. And I had them right after lunch and they were all sugared up. And uh, I remember with the first session that I had, had the whole scene set up and that you start in an in, obviously, because that's what you got to do if you're starting yeah. off first time playing. And the two or two, like I've, basically I've got it set up where a group of four people control one character. That, that way I can have oh, you know, eight, 18 people can all play at the same time because everybody has time to talk and it's teamwork and you know each person rolls different dice and stuff like that. And what I noticed in the very first encounter is like two of the groups just kept trying to run away. They would be like, well, is there a window close to me? And I'm like, well, I, I guess. And it's like, all right, I open the window and I run away. And I was like, what, what, what are you doing? No. And so, yeah. They just kept trying to, to leave. And like, as they, as like, after the third or fourth attempt to like, just flee the situation, I was like, why do you guys keep trying to run away? They're like, well, we don't want to die. I was like, well, what do you think happens mm-hmm. if you die? I was like, well, we can't play anymore. I was like, no, you make a new character. That's not how this works. <laughs> you know, and just explaining these like basic concepts of storytelling mm-hmm. through this kind mm-hmm. of a, a medium. And it's, once they grasp that, they're like, oh, oh, okay. In that case, I draw my sword. I jump on the table and I try to stab him in the face. Excellent. Okay. Now we're talking, you know? Yeah. And yep. so it's been fun to like just hang out with, with new players. And so what are, what are some of the other things you've noticed about new players? Just like, as they realize the possibilities, like, oh, you mean I can do anything? Yeah, you can do anything. Roll the percentage die. See what happens. Right. Here's what, do- what I've identified with our cast. And we, I've, we've played with, you know, a ton of other people at this point too, but yeah. I think that you could boil new players or I guess any player into three categories. There's, the gamer, the person that, you know, loves rolling the dice, that's probably competitive, that wants to do a lot of damage. There's the actor, the person that likes to role play and like put on different voices. And then there's the storyteller, the person that like, you know, certainly likes doing damage, but doesn't really do a voice, but is totally interested in the story and asking questions and the world. And I think that our cast is a really good representation of like, not all of our um, our cast does voices. We have some super talented you know, voiceover actors that do voices. We have some, uh, like, like Vi comes to mind, this girl, Lauren. She, she's an actor and like, she totally gets into her voice. 
but she's also like really competitive and like really wants to do a lot of damage. So I, I guess for me to, I, I really enjoy seeing what type of player or combination of, of player, you know, someone's going to bite yeah. into. And I think there's, I, I think you could argue that the role-playing part of a tabletop RPG is really off-putting to a lot of people. And and I'll even be super honest myself. Like, I, I think role-playing is, like, kind of hard. Like, it's it's essentially improv acting. And improv acting is, like, a super tough skill set. I mean, it's, right. you know, you're thinking on your feet. You're trying to do a voice. You're trying to come up with a character and, you know, stay consistent to the character's voice. I mean, it's just hard. And I think that it is a good thing to tell new players First of all, getting in the door is hard enough. But before even getting in the door, just saying like, hey, you know, you really don't have to role play, like do a voice just, you know, in your own voice. Just tell me what you want your character to do and and get them really hooked on the game part of it or the story part of it. And, you know, slowly but surely, like I think those people eventually after they get comfortable with the group and, and what a tabletop RPG actually is, they will start throwing on accents and doing voices and stuff, which is really, really fun. Um, I want to answer this. This is Steven. Um, I think that what I enjoy the most about really bringing any new player to the table for the first time is uh, watching them fall into this world and and become incredibly immersed. Because, look, what, what's amazing to me and really one of the things that I, I love about tabletop RPGs the most is like, it's completely imaginary, right? Like, none of this right. is actually happening. But one of the things we consistently say uh, while we play and after we play is it's amazing how much you see when when you play this game and how, um, you know, Michael and I usually stay up an hour uh, extra trying to fall asleep because we just replay the whole adventure in our minds. And yeah, one of the things I, I love is just watching really this transformation of these new players sitting down and, you know, w- when their butt hits the chair, they're like, they have no idea what's going to happen or how to play. And then 30 minutes into the adventure, when, you know, I paint the picture of this monster and have them come up and I say like, and they smash you in the head or claw you and bite you. And, ah, what do you want to do? And watching these like amazing visceral, like emotional reactions and stress. And they like hold their face and like, oh, I don't know. And it's all pretend, you know, and so right. just just watching them really transform into the world is is what I love the most. I have a specific moment I want to, this is Michael now, that I want to call out that happened on the show. I think it's in our third episode. Um, and Gabe, one of the guys that you probably looked at on our website in our cast who you were like, well, that's the most beautiful man I've ever seen. <laughs> that's a very good looking man. I'm not going to lie. His name is Graham Bunn. So Graham is one of our buddies out here. I actually know him from this reality TV show that we were on called The Bachelor, and I'm just going to pass right over that. But he is Graham is like the coolest, most handsome man I have ever met in my life. And he is the antithesis of a nerd gamer. But, you know, yeah. he's a buddy of ours, so we asked him to be on the show. And what I'm calling back to what Steve is just talking about, we had this moment, and it actually happened on air, where uh, I was playing with Graham, and our, our heroes were fighting a dragon. And Graham, like, at one point, he, he stopped, and he was like, I... I'm like incredibly stressed. Like I, and, and you know, like to me, that was good way, yeah. this great moment of proving that, you know, because Graham is not someone that would ever play a tabletop RPG and he's sitting there admitting like, Oh my God, I am totally immersed so and don't want to die and want to do damage. I, it, yeah, it's, it's what makes tabletop RPGs so special to me. And I would even go one step further and say that, look, 
like Steve and I said, we love board games. We go to gaming conventions. It's one of it's like Christmas for us. We think it's full of the nicest people on the planet. We love the game board game community. And playing a board game with people can be incredibly social and very fun. But I think tabletop RPGs goes a step further with the immersion and the cooperative storytelling that yeah. I just think is totally unique and really powerful. Yeah, definitely. Now I'm a, I'm a guy that comes from a football culture, and mm. you know I, I know a lot about big big time experiences that you're going to remember forever, and and people around you, and and what was happening, and and you have all these really mm-hmm. cool stories. But I've had so many very similar kind of things at the table with, like with these imaginary characters and imaginary stories and kind of the same thing, right? Where you, mm-hmm. you have these friends right there next to you and you go through something together and you, and you, you 10 years later, you go, Hey, you remember that time this thing happened yeah, man. and yeah, whether absolutely. it was a Friday night catching a touchdown or whether it was like a Friday night, you know, slaying a dragon, like it's still these really cool mm-hmm. sto- you know, stories that you tell. And what I love about RPGs is there's not really a wrong way to play. Like you mentioned, Hey, oh, if you want to be yeah. a person that comes in there, you just want to do a bunch of damage and kill stuff. Cool. If you want to be a person that like is kind of sneaky and running around or, you know, trying to steal from your teammates, whatever. Cool. If you want to, you know, just be a great storyteller and you want to go out in a blaze of glory. Awesome. You can do that too. Like there's no like wrong way to play. It's not like you, I mean, I, I guess you, if you're just a jerk, that would be technically a wrong way to play, you know, in the spirit <laughs> of things, but like you can come in and just play the game you want to play. And also, and do your point too, like also a great distinction from, you know, traditional regular board games, right? Like yeah. there are rules, like you, you can definitely play, uh, you know, traditional board games the wrong way, but but yep. yeah, you, you can't really mess up with tabletop RPGs, which is super awesome. Yeah, one thing I love, and this is something uh, Rob Davio actually talked about on the show a while back, was how he came out of an RPG, you know, I don't want to say culture, but like that, that's where he really got into gaming. And in, in RPG culture, you just you just make stuff up. Like you house rule things. You just determine, oh, okay, I yeah. think this is how the rule goes at the table. Yeah. But in but he talked about how in the board game space, that's not the case at all. Oh, and how he ran into so many like, so many walls basically of, of, you know, assuming that players would just kind of, you know, understand the rule. And if they didn't fully understand it, then they would just kind of figure out, okay, well, I think it means this. Let's do it this way. Okay, cool. Mm. He said that was not yeah. the case and how much hate he got online on BG on board game geek and different places where people were just yeah. so upset about certain rules. And, and they were even more upset about his response. Well, I, well, I don't know. I figured out, <laughs> you know, I actually, I actually never thought about that mm. distinction from board game to tabletop RPGs that, that you're right. That's like a beautiful thing. I actually, mm-hmm. I, I I really like that. I would even go, Gabe, I'm at the point now when I meet someone and say things like, hey, have you ever played a tabletop RPG? And they say something like, no, I would never do that. My immediate response is then, well, then you're an idiot. Like, (laughs) that's so stupid. You have no idea what you're missing out on. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it creates so so many amazing experiences. I'm just share a quick story that, that I uh, had the very first time I did this. It was it was awesome. It was with the uh, the non Rambuxes class. So I had an AP class last mm. year, and these are the kids that are like they're super smart. They love puzzles. They love figuring stuff out. They love pleasing you know people. And they're you know they're those kids. And I remember the first time we were playing, they got right into it. They weren't running away. They were they were the opposite of the other class. They were they were like, okay, we're gonna figure this out. And they were like getting all tactical. And if you go over here and you get the flanking, and then you do this, I'm gonna jump up on the table and I'm going to grab a excellent yeah I'm going to grab a chair and throw it as a distraction like they were coming up with all these cool things and so the way the basically the way the first encounter was they they met an ally that was trying to help them with some information that's going to kind of lead them you know tell them basically the next place to go and then the big bad guy shows up randomly right he he kind of shows up there's this altercation where somebody dies and so the bad guy he's basically a necromancer so he shows up and he's got all these little goblin 
minions and they take the body and they put it on this cart and they basically they're collecting bodies and so the players get to like see the big bad and like see hey he's like he's he's this like larger than life character he's very scary and so they started thinking like whoa what maybe we should follow him let's just see where he goes and so two of them split off from the, the group and outside the inn and they like one of them cast invisibility and the other one cast like some kind of charisma thing to kind of make the goblin think they were dead. And so they hopped up on the cart and they thought it was just going to roll away out of town. (laughs) And the other two were going to just follow behind, but they did not realize that this big bad guy lived very far away and he would just teleport wherever he wanted to go. (laughs) And so these two characters jumped up on the cart and then the big bad guy comes out, the other goblins come out and the other two characters are inside the end kind of waiting. And then the, they, they just teleport away and they just disappear. And as I explained, kind of like, and then you, a giant you know, green flash and lightning, all this stuff. And then the cart and all the bad guys are just gone. And as I said that, the bell rang to end class. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. perfect. I could not have planned it any better. better yeah. And they all went, oh, no, like what happens next? And I was like, tune in next time, children, and we'll find uh, out. And they were like, good. oh, no. And we played you know, a couple of days later and they were so excited about getting back into the game and figure out uh, what happened. And I feel like that's something that a lot of board games don't really, they don't really have mm-hmm. that. It's the not like, hanger, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm playing Terraforming Mars and I can't wait to see if I get to terraform the next hex right. you know, tomorrow. I guess you don't have that, right? The, the right. game is, is typically all in one. Like mm-hmm. we play tonight and we end tonight. Whereas RPGs, you could play for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that, that one story could just continue on and on and on. And mm-hmm. it's one thing I really love about uh, these types of games. But let's yep. get into some more like the mechanisms. Like, so you're designing your own game. Tell me, tell me about some of the design aspects of your game. How maybe it's a little bit different from other games that are out there. I mean, there's a lot, a lot out there. So you know, it's kind of hard to differentiate differentiate yourself now. So what are some of those yeah. things you've been working on? Yeah, of course. Um, so a quick quick tangent here, and and it's really more for in in the effort of full disclosure. Um, I work at a company called Riot Games. Our our premier title is League of Legends. I don't know, listener, maybe <laughs> yeah, you're I've heard of it. heard of them once or twice, I believe. Okay, you, all right. So you, you guys uh, you guys have a little bit of my money that um I, I <laughs> okay. kind of want back now. You know, ten years later. So. All right, right on. We're, we're gonna have to. Uh, I'll send you. I'll send you a friend request. It's it's Riot Stags <laughs> if you want to uh, do whatever. <laughs> Play some rank together, but I digress. Um, So look, Michael alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, one of the real problem spaces we saw from a design or a mechanics perspective was the hero sheet. And again, not that not that we don't love diving into a a 12 page hero sheet, but um, if you're trying to get new players to the table, then there was work to be done there. So one of the things we did to connect the dots to League of Legends was um, every one of our heroes has three abilities and an ultimate, which is basically just (laughs) an exact. uh, Yeah, QWDR call out to uh, to League of Legends. Um, And. You know, what we loved about that is is just how simple it made it, right? Like the, the three abilities are uh, every once in a while there's a passive on some hero sheets, but, um, you know, they're, they're pretty strong, simple abilities. And then the ultimate ability is is every hero's uh, best best ability. And then as Michael alluded to earlier, there's uh, the, the spell list is five to, I think, seven max uh, that a hero sheet has. And um, that just makes the game very easy to play. Like you, you have, you know, really uh, simple but but powerful tactical choices to make with uh, with your hero sheet. So um, yeah, that that's that's probably the the biggest hardest hitting differentiating uh, and, and innovative game mechanic that we have in as it relates to uh, g- gameplay for a player. Yeah, I think it's also it's Im- it's important to put a numerical value on this. 
uh, for D&D and Pathfinder, and I, th- those are the two that we go to because they're the biggest. I realize there's dozens and dozens of other RPG systems. But for D&D and Pathfinder, their core rule books are like three and 400-some pages. Our right. core rule book is seven pages. So nice. just to give you an idea of you know how much fat we trimmed from... Uh, look, and I, maybe this is another good way to say it. Basically, what we did is we looked at the D&D and Pathfinder systems and some other ones too, but those were the main ones. And and figured out any way and uh, that we could trim the fat and basically boil things down to be super super simple and very very clear. Um, and that's kind of where we started. And there's certainly some design elements that we were innovative on that we hadn't seen anywhere else. Like our death system is totally innovative. I haven't heard of anything like it in any other RPG systems. But but yeah, it was it was all about trimming. That was that was anything that we designed went through that lens. I think maybe a good example um, or a specific example, I should say that that kind of goes to uh, another level is our skills. Um, skills are in both D&D and, and Pathfinder, you know, pretty, I don't want to use it, the word exhaustive because it has a negative connotation. Again, we like those systems, but um, we, we have five skills in, in our game. They are uh, perception, diplomacy, athletics, stealth, and survival. Um, and, and that's it. And, and really anything that you want to do, uh, in the game will fall into one of those, uh, one of those five things. And again, just, just another kind of a streamlined look at, um, ways to mechanically support a narrative, um, either in combat or out of combat. Yeah, definitely. Now, just as an aside, there was a time in my life where I was dating this girl and she got super upset because I spent more time playing League of Legends than I spent with her. And so... <laughs> Gabe, we all have that time. We all life. got yeah, that time, buddy. Just as a confessional. And um, I don't know. League of Legends was more fun than her. And so it is what it is. Gabe, but, you made the right choice, buddy. I fully I know. It, it all worked out in the end. <laughs> yeah, very glad I hey, did it Gabe, with that. I want to stop and ask about your system then. You said you're designing. I don't yeah. know how far along you are in the design process, yeah. but... Have you, you know, been asking some of those big macro questions like, how do I make this easier or where do I want to make this more complicated? And, you know, have you, where are you at with all of that? Yeah, definitely. So it's a little bit different. So last year I ran basically the Fate Core system, and is, it's a great which system. is great. Great system, super streamlined, super easy. Yep. And But the more I did, I was like, I want to kind of do my own thing. And this year I'm doing things a little different. It's not a fantasy setting. It's it's kind of time stories turned into an RPG. I really wish Time Stories was an RPG. I love the board game, but I, <laughs> I just so wish that that I wish for the freedom of an RPG in that kind of a world and that kind of thing. And so I thought, sure, you know, why don't I just do it myself? And so, and the cool thing about teaching English and doing a time travel RPG is that I can have the players, the the class, they can go back in time and they can meet people that they're learning about in the class. So they can run into Shakespeare, they can run into, you know, Tolkien, all these, you know, C.S. Lewis, whoever, and kind of get adventures kind of based around either the stories that we're reading or the authors that, that wrote them. So I'm excited about that. And so what I'm doing for that one, I took the time stories dice and basically, I'm, I'm kind of using that and because you have a, a success system and that kind of thing. And so your character has certain stats. Uh, and what's interesting about the, the character sheets, it's there, there's two halves. And so you have your, your always character, like whoever you are, your, your time traveler, basically. And yep. he has, he has men, the mental stats come from them. So their charisma, their intelligence, that kind of thing. And then you're embodying, almost like Quantum Leap style, Excellent. Uh, a oh my physical... God. I- 
person. Oh and so oh all the God. physical stats come from this person you're embodying. So if you're in the Wild West, then all of a sudden you're embodying a Billy the Kid kind of character. And so your physical stats come from that physical body, but your mental stats are still you. And so it's kind of interesting. So every game, like whatever time period you go into, your character's going to change a little bit depending on what body they get stuck in. And so like if you get put into like this little uh, little little old lady, your, your character's going to be a little different than if you get stuck, you know, in this giant, you know, warrior bouncer kind of guy. Gabe, so that is super brilliant, dude. That's That sounds really, really cool. I love that it, then what the story that you're playing is directly tied to how the character, how you're yep. going to play the character. That That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And so the, the dice system, you know, you have, you know, let's say you have a three in dexterity. So that means you roll three dice for this. And it's the time stories kind of dice that have successes on, There's for my system, there's successes on two sides. There's a time icon on one side, and then there's a skull on one side. And so successes, obviously, you know, you need certain number of successes to jump over the the, the chasm or, you know, make yep. the shot or, you know, for comment on it. And then the skulls activate the bad guys. And so like certain skulls will activate different things about the bad guys, it's basically for the AI system. And it kind of helps me out as far as a, a, a game master where I'm not just doing everything. There's, you know, it's also the players feeling like their bad roles contribute to their bad sure, fortune. Totally, it's not just totally. me. And then the time, one of my favorite parts about running the system, the, the time icons, if I ever get, so every time you roll a time icon on any roll, it adds a, a token to this track and there's 13 spaces. And anytime it hits that 13th space, the, 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 the track gets wiped. So it goes back to zero, but I draw a card and a random paradox happens. Nice. And so one of the games I ran, this is a while back, just almost like a play test with some, with some other students, kind of just us. It wasn't with the whole class, but I drew one of those cards and a 57 Cadillac dropped <laughs> from the ceiling yeah. inside the cave yeah. that they were in. And they were fighting this like werewolf kind of monsters, like a robot from the future. And it was in the wild west. It was like a lot of stuff going on at the same time. And this Cadillac drops from the ceiling and it just lands and they have to make some skill checks to like jump out of the way and not get, you know, not get hit. Right. And then, so the, so now there's a car in this cave. And so one of my players looked at me, he said, can I, can I drive the car? And I was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. And so he gets <laughs> in the car and he's like, I'm going to try to run over the werewolf. I was like, go for it. And he rolled and he rolled really poorly and he just like totally failed. And so the werewolf jumped out of the way and there's another character next to the werewolf. And now he had to roll a skill check to see if he could jump out of the way of too. The and he didn't, he failed <laughs> and he got hit by the car. Right. And so like it created this like amazingly ridiculous moment of like all these time things happening at the same time and paradoxes and like, it was so much fun. And I so love it. That, that, it's, it's actually, it sounds like it's a little bit of a living card game type of system integrated with the tabletop RPG because there's things you know, that can happen that are out of your control that affect yeah. like this AI type of uh, like we, we, Steve and I just got into Arkham horror, the card game. And yeah. And there's, there's a similar mechanic in there, like based on how you roll it unlocks certain stuff. Yeah. The, really it's the cool. doom mechanic. Yeah. Like if you, yeah. uh, same, same concept with the time thing. That's, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things I was going into this thing and the same thing you guys are thinking, how can I make this as easy as possible mm -hmm. for somebody to be the dungeon master? Right. And so I think having, having cards, having preset characters, having preset story beats, you know, different rhythms for just to make it, you, you sit down and you play and you can have a lot of fun. And so we're trying to add in some board game elements to the RPG yeah, stuff, but also really still have that freedom, you know, have that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really smart, dude. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. Well, cool, man. Any other like core mechanisms that, that you guys have worked on or even stuff that you tried and just didn't work and you're like, yeah, this is not working. And so you had to cut it. Actually, you know, I, the, the, 
what also came to mind that's not mechanically based, and we can go back to that, but mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, it was story. It was specifically telling procedural stories. So, uh, you know, yeah. our our adventures are shorter. Like they, I think all in, it probably takes two, maybe two and a half uh, hours to three hours, depending on if it's, you know, a three hero adventure or, or, uh, or what adventure it is. Um, so, you know, like at its very basic level, the type of story that we tell is, uh, is goal obstacle, right? Like, you know, the, the guy that runs the tavern, his name is Millar Nightbringer. He basically briefs the heroes before they go out and says like, Hey, a uh, little girl got taken and we think this guy did it, but we don't know. Go figure out what happened. And, you know, two hours later, you're fighting the bad guys that ended up taking the girl. So it's very point A to point B. And from a design standpoint, and it it, it affected how we designed the rules, too. But, um, you know, I mean, how we wrote how we write every story is really crucial to the experience of the game and how it's different than a D&D or Pathfinder experience. And we already talked about this a little bit, but you know, like it's really hard to find four to six hours to play right. a long form story. And, uh, and our stories are just, you know, they're not that complicated They're You kind of, the train's going to stay on the tracks. You kind of know where it's going. And because it's more of a video game version of a tabletop RPG, it's like, yeah, you know, like, you know where the first bad guys are. Go fight them. Use your abilities, and then find out who the big bad is. Go fight him, and hopefully you win. You know what I mean? Drink your health potions, cast your spells, swing your axes, and then you know, and yeah. then go home. You know. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, what I love is that if you want to go deeper, you can. You can if you yeah. want to get into like the deep politics of things, and like really, you know, travel down that road where it kind of gets more in the role playing side of things. If that's what your group, your your players want to do. You can do that, mm-hmm. right? But if they really like just going in the dungeon and killing stuff and getting gold and coming back and buying stuff, well, that's great too. It just kind of depends. You can you can change the game based on the players at the table, which mm-hmm. is not something a lot of games are able to do, right? Yeah, so totally. many games I've played because my friends wanted to, and they like, I really hate this game, but I'm going to play for the next two hours because you guys like it. You know, whereas as RPGs, it's 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 different. You can kind of you know custom fit it based on the people at the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you think of any other? like specific mechanics well honestly i'm i'm still trying to think of i know like we actually started out uh, with a with the d20 system i don't know if you remember that oh, yeah. um oh, but course, we yeah. we stepped away from it to get to the uh the 100 I'm, I'm i'm trying to think of i know we cut a couple skills um but i'm trying to think uh if there's anything i think any, we're just that good no, we, whenever we not, tried it worked <laughs> no i just, i'm just i'm trying to think if there's anything else that we you know went pretty far down the road with and and then cut um, I mean, we for four to five months it was a D twenty system. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was we, that was certainly a mm-hmm. we pivoted. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you went because I, I use a percentile dice as well, and and part of one of the things I don't know if I'm going to cut it, and so I'm still like working on that right now. But let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about how you kind of started with D twenty and, and went a different way. Yeah, I, I think it was two things. One, if we used the D twenty system, we felt like we were just not being innovative and and basically just taking D and D and trimming it down. And that didn't feel creative enough for us. And then the second yeah. thing, what we mentioned with, and we, I like play tested with my wife and I play tested with some nephews that I have. And I, again, I could just see it on their faces. Like it was, it's so hard to grasp what a D 20, what the numbers mm-hmm. mean. Like it's for people that are brand new to the, to a tabletop RPG. And Steve and I talked about those experiences and then, ultimately when we landed on a percentage dice and then replay tested with the percentage die. Yeah. It just seemed like it clicked so much better when, when you can say, when you attach percentage to it, you know? Yeah. I have a, uh, I, I just thought of a, a, 
a, a fun example that I actually, to be totally honest with you, I still have a bit of a, re- a regret on, or if I could go back and change it, I would. Um, we we always kind of struggled with armor class uh, or, or or the idea of AC. Though those those mm-hmm. two letters, I think, just just seem like a, a tough thing to to grab again from the perspective of a new player. Um, so we we were like, what what would make sense? Like, what's a term that would make sense to say? And we went with uh, defense rating. The reason we went with that is because we we just felt like armor class was um, like armor implies that everybody in the game is wearing some type like i don't know steel armor or whatever not just cloth yeah. and then class just felt like a weird thing to throw on the end of that like what what class you are, have for your eye it just didn't make sense uh but defense rating we felt like did like it, it it makes sense saying my defense rating is 70 that's like sounds like okay that's how hard it is to hit you um mm-hmm. go, going back i wish we called it armor uh, just flat out like armor rating. No, not just armor. Like what's your armor? Um, or I mean, I guess armor rating too. Uh, but, but just, just to make it even more simple to understand for a new player, because we still, oh, um, I don't wear a lot of armor. So my, yeah, exactly. Well. I don't have, right. Armor, so so my armor is high. Right. Well, but remember what, what that ignores though, is things like dexterity. Like we have a ninja in our game who doesn't wear a lot of armor, but she's incredibly agile. I guess we haven't stepped this out. We don't have any ability scores. Like we don't have charisma or wisdom or, you know, intelligence and dexterity. It's all just kind of rolled into the makeup of the character. We do it all on the back end. But, you know, like someone can have a really high AC and because their dexterity is really high. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which, But again, in our system, like we don't even touch that on our system in terms of it being present on the character. Actually, that just reminded me of another thing that we cut. We went back and forth on this for probably three months. Uh, was, and we touched on it earlier, was having a hero creation system. Um, I actually still have this saved on my computer. It's it's basically like a point by system um, that revolves around uh, 10 points where you could, you know, boost how much damage you do or boost your armor or boost your your skills. Um, but we ended up cutting it just to, uh, again, get, get back to that core mission statement of of making it really simple and lowering the barrier to entry to, to get to the table. Um, but there, there may be an expansion pack somewhere down the line that, that has a, uh, a hero creation system. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I, I've been using percentage dice as well, but all right. So I've got the system where you're, you're real, you're just looking for successes. Okay. To do this thing, you need two successes, three successes. But then I started thinking like, what if somebody wanted to do something just crazy, like epic, like, just like, I have no chance of doing this. And so like, you would need 10 successes and you're mm-hmm. rolling four dice. Like, it's not possible. Yeah. And so I started using percentile dice for those kind of like epic moments. And so the player can say, all right, I want to do this crazy thing. And I'll say, okay, you've got a 20% chance. Right. And then they have to roll the percentile dice to see if that happens. And so it just it opens up the door for things that in under the normal rules wouldn't be wouldn't be possible. And I don't know. It's it's been fun, but I don't know. I still might cut it. We'll see. Yeah, that's great. I love that, actually. Oh, and also something I was thinking about this. I think I got this from Matt Colville as well. His his whole like explanation of, of AC armor class is basically like if you're if you're if we're fighting and, and I've got my sword and you've got yours and your shield and all and we're like going back and forth. You're oh I tell you back it wasn't it wasn't AC it was health the way he explained health so I, I call it my health in my game is is stamina you have a certain amount of stamina sure, yeah. and basically that is your ability to avoid death or avoid harm right and so if you're fighting with swords it's like you're going back and forth and as you lose stamina you're you're dodging you're moving you're you're getting like flesh wounds but you're not taking a, a deadly blow until you're out of stamina and like you just don't have the capacity anymore to avoid you know the the sword going through your gut that kind of thing mm-hmm. and so but I found like finding little ways to kind of 
help players, especially new players, understand more like a story driven thing because it doesn't make sense from a health. Like you have ten health points. It's like what does that mean? Like I get <laughs> my arm cut off, I can still do everything's the same. Like it doesn't make sense. Like oh my gosh, like I've got one health and I can still do the same abilities as ten health. That you know what does that mean? And so just Ab- trying to help them understand from a story. Standpoint. A- absolutely, yeah. And I but you actually just said it again. Yeah, I, I love that you said that. One of the things we we try to do quite often. Um, we haven't called this out yet in Tavern of Heroes. We say. Uh, story master, you're the you know you're you're telling the story. Yep. So um, one of the things we we like to do um, in combat is either we'll, we'll model this ourselves as the story master or encourage our players to uh, you know don't don't just say like okay I I take my sword and I try to hit roll the dice see if you hit and then all right I do eight points of damage like don't do that tell me a story and even if you miss it's still cool to say like it's not like it's if you miss on the die I mean. Don't just say it doesn't have to be that your hero swings their sword and, you know, the, the the bad guy ducks out of the way. It could also be, you know, you hit him in the shoulder or in the pauldron and they just have so much armor on that it doesn't do any damage. You know, that can still mm-hmm. you can still hit somebody, but because their their defense rating or armor class is so high, you don't you don't do any damage. Gabe, the way you described stamina and first of all, I am going to start binge watching all of Matt Colville's videos because yeah that sounds really smart but yeah, he's awesome i there's i it made me think of a mechanic um tied to stamina where because you said it really well and i've never heard anyone say that like if you have one health point you shouldn't be able to do everything <laughs> that you could do when you have all of your <laughs> right. health points i really like that so yeah. the idea of having a system that integrates that like you know hey you know your abilities you just can't do this ability because you're almost dead, bro. Oh, like you can't do your oh, jumping. Yeah, yeah, you're bleeding out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that's that's really really smart. Another to um, piggyback onto it. Another thing that we I guess always bumped on with health points, and particularly in the Pathfinder system. And I, I think I think D and D does this too. It's like. Um, you know that you're you're like still alive when you have zero health points and you're basically like your constitution score is what keeps you alive you're not dead until you go negative to all your we, mm-hmm. we just always bumped on that and so our system how we we deal with death is when you go down when you have zero health points left if you're not healed by either a spell or someone gives you a potion if you're not healed by the end of the next round that you went down in you die but you don't permanently die there's a chance that you can be saved and here's this is kind of the the innovative thing that we came up with so we have a separate if someone if a hero dies on the adventure that you're playing uh, the other heroes can choose to continue the combat or they can they can leave. And then we have another, a separate adventure called the Cave of Death. And essentially, your the hero that died, their soul gets taken to this Cave of Death where the god of death in our world, his name is Manon, keeps your soul hostage for like 24 hours. And I'm going to condense this way down. But basically, then you can play two other heroes in the tavern that go and try to rescue this uh, the hero and get him back in the game. And if they fail, the hero that died is permanently out of the game. And if they succeed, he's back in the game. So it just seemed, it felt like it made a little bit more sense. And again, we t- tied it to a story and like, how can we make it uh, like part of an adventure instead of just, Oh man, it, sorry, bro. You're dead. And just <laughs> lay it on the ground, you know, with zero health points. Like how could we step that out a little more? Yeah, because people get really t- attached to these characters, you know, especially oh, yeah. if they've been playing that character for a long time. And so it's nice to give them an opportunity to get that character back, you know, basically go to the underworld. You know, it's almost like a, an old myth- mythological mm-hmm. kind of s- style of storytelling exactly. where they can kind of 
come back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Now, in, in the game I'm running, it's a little interesting because you're in the future and you're just embodying a, a body. Uh-huh. Then, but that person dies, it's like, oh, I'll just embody another one. I guess. Like, it's a little bit. You kind of. I got to be careful that players don't just throw away. Yeah, <laughs> throw away the body. <laughs> quantum leap. <laughs> right. I think you said that earlier, but yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's playing quantum leap. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one thing I really loved about the the fate system that they use with with health and that kind of thing is like as you take more damage, you take consequences, right? And so like mm-hmm. as you get hurt more, now now your ankle is broken. Now you're you've got a giant gash on your arm that's bleeding, and you have to take care of that. And so you can mm-hmm. get some consequences that will go away at the end of a battle, and then some that are permanent. Like if you you know get your arm cut off in the battle, like it's it's gone. Like you're you're now Luke Skywalker, and hopefully you can get one of those little robotic deals. Yeah, I know? love but, fate for that. It, that it's a genius. Mm-hmm way to to uh, progress combat with consequences it's it's i love it yeah and it makes sense it's it's thematic it's storytelling it's mm-hmm. not like oh i was at one health point and now i drank a potion now i'm at 50 again totally. with nothing like there's no damage at all it's right. like okay you know mm-hmm. all right let's talk about play testing like how how like what's been your system that's one of the things that's so hard They're like this there's so many things going on a lot of times in rpgs and it is a little bit you know, kind of out in the ether, so to speak, with you know house rules and things can change and you know figured out at the table. So how do you how do you play test one of these things and really figure out like what you need to change and what needs to be cut out and that kind of stuff? Sure. Uh, actually, I I think there's there's two things here to 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 talk about. Um, one is you know just leveraging family and friends like that was our our, our first real play testing and then not to mention Michael and I just sitting down night after night after night and and just really crunching out our system. Um, but the other thing, the one I, I think is more interesting to talk about is, look, just recognizing the fact that, um, you know, we, we, we say we play an alpha version on the show and, uh, we've been, I think the show has been out now for six months. We've been playing the game actively with other people for nine or 10 months. Does that sound right? Um, yeah, maybe a little more. And, you know, we, we have, we have made changes over those nine or 10 months. And, and even, uh, right, right now we, we just launched a, a Patreon a couple of weeks ago and one of our reward tiers is, is a play tester. And so we've sent it out to some fans and, um, are asking for their feedback as well on really anything across the system, because, uh, there, there's actually a, a, Michael had brought this up an old, um, writer or, or literature saying that a, a book is never finished, um, only abandoned. And I, I think that that really holds true for um, yeah. board game design as well, or I, I guess for, for our system, it, it's how we think of it that, you know, we're always looking to um, make improvements and, and just get tighter and tighter and tighter as we go. Practically, I think I can answer a little more directly. I mean, our actual play testing for better or worse, was with our cast. I mean, and it just comes down to a capability thing, right? It's like how much time yeah. and people do we actually have as a resource to play test over and over and over? Because ultimately, these systems need rigorous play testing, which means like thousands of times played. And, you know, I mean, we just we just didn't have that as a capability. So our actual play testing, mm-hmm. for the most part, we certainly did as much as we could before we started recording the show. But, yes, with our cast. And, I mean, we would spend an hour to two hours after every single time we played going over everything and, like, talking about tweaking different stats and abilities and numbers. And like Steve already said, and what you're probably experiencing, too, because you're going you're developing your own um, rule system. I mean, you could constantly at all times be tweaking numbers up and down one or two. You know what I mean? Like you could, you could, you could play test to the end of time. Yeah. And um, 
it's the, I think a, a big point here to make too is that Michael and I also made the conscious decision in, in our strategic development to just say, look, story is what matters. Rules are yeah. second, right? And one of the things that really frustrated us with, with Pathfinder or D&D um, game sessions is, you know, how you'd have to take, you'd have to pause the story or pause the action and take, you know, five minutes and open up the core rule book and, and figure out what the right rule is or the right way to play it. And again, that nothing wrong with that. We like really crunchy systems, but, um, for, for this system, we just wanted the story to matter. And so like, we actually have this specifically written out in our rule book. Like, it's fine if we, if, if you as a story master want to just hand wave something or want to, you know, create a, create a mechanic on the fly. Like we're, we're totally okay with that. Um, and the other thing that, that I, I hope this doesn't sound cocky or, or arrogant, but Michael and I, we really just trusted our own judgment. You know, as we talked about earlier, we've been gamers our whole lives. We've played, you know, hundreds of different types of games and um, feel like we, we just have a, a really good base knowledge and are kind of experts in this space. I mean, self-declared, but uh, just, just trust our, our own judgment. So felt like we were kind of coming to, even to play testing with, with a with a pretty solid base to to build off of. Yeah, definitely. I think something that both of us are, are running into that kind of makes this easier is that we're trying to make simple systems, right? right? We're not right. trying to make a 500 page, you know, rule book or anything like that. We have to test all the different things. Like one thing I hate about, and this is something that kind of bothered me about D&D in general and, and something I, I tried to get away from in my own system is like the super tactical combat. It's like, okay, you've got 30 feet of movement. You've got this. It's got a range of this. It's got, you know, all these. It's like, gosh, I just, I just, I want to fight that guy over there. All right. Can I just go all fight him modifiers. and not have to worry about how many squares I move? And so getting like streamlining that kind of system and not worrying too much about movement and, and just, again, choosing the story over like the tactics of the game, because that, that, that's not the game that I want to play or that I want to run. And so that's made things a lot easier. I don't have to worry about certain things that you would have to worry about if you're making you know something more similar uh, to D&D. And this is something I actually learned a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen, it's called Index Card RPG. But I'm a huge fan. Of that. I've learned a lot from that. It's a very short book. It's from a, another YouTube uh, guy. He put it out. But it's it's the rule set. Very simple. Uh, it's very streamlined. And so anyone listening to this wants to check out another system that, that I highly recommend. Index Card RPG. Uh, no, the, I I haven't heard of that. Sounds that sounds awesome and really smart too. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Give it a shot. And then going back to something else you, you were just talking about, uh, as far as the dice and whatnot. One thing I love about RPGs that that board games will never compare to that that you just can't is that you have this this storyteller the story master dungeon master game master whatever you want to talk about it who can kind of guide the story in certain ways to create these moments that maybe otherwise would not have happened and in my mind it's kind of the difference between the ufc and the wwe <laughs> right the you know mma and ufc they can, they can do everything they they in their power to try to tell a great story and then the match happens and maybe it ends in seven seconds it's like wow I just paid $70 and that lasted seven seconds. Or maybe it lasts like three rounds, but the guys, all they do is hug each other the whole time and yeah. like never really Gravel. get any kind of, it's yeah. like, yeah, it was like, oh, well, that happens. On the other side, you have the WWE, which is scripted and you have these like amazing athletes doing these crazy things, you know, and, and they're telling a story and it's, it's more, you know, it's more soap opera than it is, you know, a fight and that kind of thing. But, but you know, going in, that you're probably going to get your money's worth. Like whatever story has been building up, like there are writers and there are people that are putting this thing together and it's a show. And it's, so it's kind of that, that difference where the RPG is, is kind of that WWE style. 
right? I and so Gabe, that analogy is wonderful. I that that illustrates <laughs> it really, really well. That's really cool. Yeah, and something I've learned is that the the dice aren't storytellers, you know. And so that's one thing as as a GM, especially if you're rolling behind a screen and you can kind of fudge some things and be like, oh, he missed, even though they just did a critical hit and it would have killed that character, right? You can kind of fudge some things, but realizing that dice they don't they don't care they don't care what the story is, yeah. and so. You can you can always choose the legend over the dice, right? Well, okay, this is what was rolled, but we're gonna do something a little bit different. And you can kind of like guide the story in some really fun, memorable ways. And that's something that the, the board games struggle with, and, and a lot of <laughs> at life struggles with. If we're just being totally honest, you know what? That actually, Gabe, that's really interesting. That that's something Steve and I just recently talked about a lot. Is um, we actually want wanted to shy away from. Uh, fudging roles and and truly mm-hmm. have the dice speak and practically what that meant from a design standpoint really from a storytelling standpoint is all of our adventures actually have an alternate ending like we write out narration yep. that you read to your players if they fail like if everyone dies and for the most part and listener if you start listening to Tavern of Feroes I'll point you to I think it's episode number 21 uh, the episode is called The Summoning and it's this like, it's something that I wrote that I orchestrated that I won't get into the reasons why, but it's a very, very epic story. Like it's got this big potential behind it and the heroes that went on it, they fail. They they don't succeed. And the ending that I wrote in, I think you could argue, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, is probably one of the best endings we've had on the show. And anyway, I guess just from a design standpoint, Steve and I have started to really look at yeah, how do we make that experience of playing Tavern of Heroes where they lose equally as exciting and engaging and dramatic and immersive as the story if they if the heroes succeed? Yeah, that's a great point. I, honestly, some of my favorite moments in in playing these games have been when somebody failed Failures. critically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I was playing with my class, you know, last year, and um, one of the heroes tried to do this really awesome thing, failed miserably, and totally murdered one of the townspeople. Right, missed oh. the bad guy completely, and just like murdered well, the that, town. That the guy villager. should have been standing there, but should have been standing there. It's his fault, you know. But I was able to weave in like this really funny kind of side story where this like this guy's family was upset and like you know it's like kind of bring in some other things and so the, the students of this group are like wow we should have rolled better that's uh you know they felt bad about it you that's know? awesome so, though that's the way it goes i also i feel like i i want to step it out one step further um we actually yeah. don't have a screen we do it and we really like we like leaning into the cooperative storytelling point Mm-hmm. Um, we felt like sometimes playing, not all the time, but d- depending on who your GM or your DM is, sometimes it feels like it's an us versus them type of game experience. And like, you know, right. and we didn't want that. We want it to be like the story master is part of the story. Like they are just, they know what can happen, but everyone in the room is going to decide what will happen. So rolling in front of having every role happen in front of everyone, you know, it makes it, it makes it so much more cooperative. It, you know, it's like, and, and like, I could say what you said a different way. Like the dice don't care about the outcome of the story, but the dice also don't lie. And like, so there, there can be these mm. buildup of these unbelievable moments where like, you know, sometimes in life, man, that's like, you don't get the unbelievable moment, you know, like, and yeah. And you miss, like you, 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 you have your opportunity to take down the bad guy and you don't get it, you know, and the bad guy comes out victorious. And and again, sometimes that can be really, really interesting storytelling too. Yeah. Now, have you guys seen, I think it's the Genesis system that has like the narrative dice. 
No, we. I've heard about the Genesis yeah. system, but no, I haven't played it or seen it. We. I. I feel like we should have said this about an hour ago. Steve and I have two kids. I have two kids under two. Steve has two kids under uh-huh. four now. So we don't get to do anything that we want to do ever. <laughs> but man, I have a long list. Terraforming Mars is on there and a lot of other RPG systems. I yeah, I've read, we've investigated a lot of them, but haven't been able to play as much as, as we want. No, I feel you. I watch a lot of YouTube videos of like real like six minute reviews on how games work. This is something actually I was watching today and how the Genesis system works. But it's got this narrative dice system to where you roll and, you know, the dice have successes and they've also got these different icons that mean different things. And so maybe you succeed, but then something else happened. Like there's a consequence to your success or maybe you fail, but it wasn't as it wasn't a a total failure. And so like you also gain something as well. Mm -hmm. And so like the the dice also kind of help with the storytelling, which I find to be really, really interesting. I don't know if I'll be able to, to ever use it in, in the system I'm running or anything, but I thought that was really kind of cool. It kind of helps the the story master, game master uh, a little bit. You don't have to come up with everything. You can kind of let the dice speak for you as well. Well, it sounds like you're, I really like the time paradox, like the 13 fails and the time, something mm-hmm. drop. That sounds, I mean, that's basically what that is. I, I really like that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's been fun. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun, like coming up with different paradoxes like what happens you know does a, does a vietnam sh- soldier show up and like looks around and like doesn't know what to do but he's got a bazooka so he might as well use it you know it's like different <laughs> things like that to kind of come up with these f- kind of silly ridiculous moments but if you think about time travel in general like that's that's what it would be right if, if these random yeah. things could happen yeah it would be super strange and so just trying to add that uh, into the game cool yeah love that yeah now, this is the board game design lab. And so, like, what are some things that, in your guys' minds or your opinions that are RPG elements that are very, like, stereotypical in RPG games that board game designers could implement, that could kind of borrow or, you know, to start putting in their games that would make their their board games more interactive or, or better experiences? I mean, the first thing that came to mind is the role-playing piece. You know, like, having... Uh, we, we actually have a game called Spiritual Warfare that, that could implement the role-playing part, because it's, I'll condense it way down, but it's like a Euro trash game and there's 12 uh, characters that you could play that use their specific abilities to give you different advantages in the game. And yeah, I, I think that, I think that role-playing and the improv acting part of, um, of tabletop RPGs can totally be used in, in a board game. And it makes it, you know, like you can create absolutely hysterical, improvised and really cool, powerful, special moments too, just by throwing on a voice, like just doing some type of voice and accent and, you know, and, and, (laughs) and, and everything can come to life a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Um, I think my answer was, and and we're certainly starting to see this in, in the, in the board game space, uh, from, from the cooperative board games, but I just, there's something really fun about playing against a monster or playing against a bad guy. Right. Um, however, that's supported mechanically, if it's, you know, a drawn, a drawn card or, um, you know, a storyline that, that the, the players go down. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, growing up, we, we always played games where you play against the other players. Um, and you know, zombie side comes to mind or, uh, uh, I guess Arkham horror, right. Is a, is a co-op, um, but get, getting the chance to you know play against this bad guy that's that's built into the game or part of the game, I, I think is is just so fun. Which which is basically what what tabletop RPGs is 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 cooperatively playing against the bad guy. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think as as games have just exploded over the last handful of years, yeah. you've seen some really interesting impl- implementations of RPG elements in board games, whether it's like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing where you've got like a big book and yeah. you, you kind of choose, all right, number 24, and that leads to these different options. Or uh, you've got this character and he's got these skills and all these kind of things. And just, there's a lot of narrative-driven stuff going on right now. And it's, I think we're in exciting times as far as like storytelling in board games and not just RPGs. Mm. Yeah, that's really well said. I, I totally agree. I think that, narrative. yeah, I think that narrative, people are starting to recognize that you can't just have like a theme and good artwork and, and cool mechanics yeah. that everything gets elevated a lot more if there's a cool narrative supporting everything, you know, in a world and a story. Yeah, definitely. And that's actually what we're going to talk about in the, uh, in the bonus round. Oh yeah. Here in a minute. Yeah. But gentlemen, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or final advice for somebody who maybe there's wor- they're working on an RPG or thinking about it? They heard this and they're like, I could, I could design one of these. What would you tell them? Well, first, I, my closing thought is just that you're the man, Gabe. And like, I love your show. <laughs> and thank you so much for having us on. And you just have such great content. And um, we've had a blast. That was not your your question, but uh, I just felt, felt the need I appreciate to say. that. Yeah. yeah, to me, it's if you're interested in designing a tabletop RPG system, or if you're interested in starting to play a tabletop RPG system, at least for Steve and I, I think that if you come at it with the lens of what does it mean to sit down and tell a story with people? Like, I mean, what is that experience like? I, for me, I think that's the place to start. If you like start really banging on what is combat going to look like and how much movement speed is are by people going to have and, and and coming at it from like looking at it from the system first. I, I just don't think that's the way to start. I think it's, it's the world building and the characters um, is, yeah. is the best place. To start. Yeah. And I'm going to, I think, I think this is said, this is saying something a little different. Um, I, I alluded to this to before, but, um, w- would encourage you, listener, if you do want to get into the design space for tabletop RPGs, to really take your time. And and w- like I said, we we spent three to four months in just strategic development before we touched literally not one mechanic or did any tactical work. Uh, it was just all, you know, asking questions of like, what problems do we want to solve, right? Where do we want to play? Where do we not want to play? Um what's you know what's the market what's out there already like what can we do differently where's the room to innovate um i mean really for for three months we had those discussions and i think that that really helped us just set up this really healthy foundation uh for which to build our system and mechanics on top of and you know honestly without that i i think we would have ended up with an entirely different system that that didn't accomplish you know, what, what we set out to do. So yeah, ask those, ask those high level questions first. What do you want your system to do? What problems do you want it to solve before you, before you dive in? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, gentlemen, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, good luck with the the podcast and, and the Patreon and the game that you've been developing for a long time. And, and I'm, I'm excited. Do you guys have any idea like when the game's going to come out or anything like that? So, uh, Steve mentioned this, but currently you can get a beta version of the game, which, uh, you know, has the player's guide and all of the hero sheets and an adventure um, on our Patreon. If you subscribe to a $10 a month, you, you can get that. And then realistically, we want to, I'm sorry, not realistically, tentatively, we want to try to do a Kickstarter uh, next year. We've got an artist that we're working with, and that's that's the 
the biggest hurdle that we're up against now is, you know, we need all of our own custom artwork, which is right. probably not surprisingly very expensive. But we found an artist after a long, long search. Her name is Rachel Allen. You can look her uh, up on Instagram. Her uh, handle is Pip Art, Pip 400 Art. Crap. I'm forgetting it now. I think that's right. Uh, anyway, she is like unbelievably talented and she is currently doing uh, our artwork for our heroes. So once we kind of figure out what the timeline would that for be, what the timeline of that will be, and then frankly, once we get a big enough audience for our podcast, um, that's that's the goal is to launch sometime in 2019, likely not till the second half of the year. Gotcha. Awesome. You want to plug your podcast real quick? Sure. So it's called Tavern of Heroes. You can find it, I think, literally anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Stitcher, Audio Boom, and obviously iTunes. SoundCloud, yeah. Google Play. Um, our website is tavernofheroes.com. And the big thing that I would point you to, if you start listening to the show on the website, we have an interactive map of our world, which is called Elderon. So when you start listening and you know realize we're going to go to the Green Lake Forest or the Silver Mist Mountains, you can, um, or Silver, <laughs> Silver Mist Forest, you can, st- I know, you can, uh, yeah, you can click on the different geographical regions and, and learn more about it, which I think is really, really fun. Or you can see our obnoxiously beautiful cast members, as, <laughs> as Gabe pointed out. <laughs> I'm just telling you, man. I saw them. I was like, man, these these are pretty people over here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you guys are in Hollywood. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, like I said, I've enjoyed the show. And again, thank you guys so much for your insight and uh, just advice and all this stuff. And good luck with uh, the show as you continue doing that and continue developing your game and everything else you got going on. Right Thanks now. for having us, Gabe. And, uh, uh, and same to you, man. Good, good luck with your show. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?